Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The Fighting Irish play like a champion today. Notre Dame with its first title in men's lacrosse. It's a beautiful What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, on the ones and twos, super producer Brandon Newman and my father, Mike Golick Sr., who once again is going to have to carry an early week show because of the damage I did to my body this weekend. Dad, how you doing? (laughs) I'm doing well, and I'm ready to go. I I thought it was going to be like an old, um, oh, why am I, uh, weekend observations that you used to do with Stu Gatz. And you were at a wedding, I think, in New York, if I remember correctly. And I remember getting a call from our old teammate, Sarah Spain. Or I called her, actually, when you weren't there for the show. And I said, do you know where Mike is? And nobody seemed to know where you were and you didn't show up for the show. So I was prepared to do the show. Even uh, your mother said to me, you ready to do I said, oh, yeah, I no problem. I'll do the show. He'll probably be a no-show as you're out in Philadelphia celebrating the Notre Dame men's lacrosse first national championship you and your brother jake went out there for the game impromptu flight and boy oh boy what a what a raucous game that it what looked like a runaway you knew wasn't going to be and notre dame held on for the victory no it was incredible getting to see it in person devastating to my body sun and beer all day long as we went through that emotional (laughs) roller coaster which we'll get to plenty here on the show we'll give you guys the full breakdown of that in a way that i have a feeling very few other if any podcasts are going to do coming off this (laughs) memorial day long weekend uh we do have a great show as always make sure you download subscribe rate review leave us a five-star rating check us out on youtube and draftkingsnetwork.com samsung tv plus Live 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern. We hope you enjoyed the best of yesterday. We were off on Monday uh, observing Memorial Day. Everyone enjoying time with their family and friends. Like Dad said, I was out here in Philly taking in the parking lot of the link, getting ready for Notre Dame and Duke in the lacrosse national championship. A day after we saw Stugatz celebrate a national championship win with his daughter as Northwestern beat Boston College on the women's side to hoist the trophy. So, Dad, I did get a text from Stugatz yesterday because I texted him congratulations when his daughter won really adorable photo of him and his daughter hugging after the yeah, game with the national yeah. championship trophy there and I text Stu Gatz and I said you something after Notre Dame won the championship he goes Gojo although I will tell you due to the awful awful missed call in the semifinal featuring Duke and Penn State that led to this weekend where Duke scored the game-winning goal and clearly had a foot on the crease, illegal, should have been called, wasn't, and there's no replay available, so Duke advanced. So Stugat said, although you, uh, due to an awful missed call in the semifinal game, I had the thought of taking away the national championship from Notre Dame in my personal record book due to to that. So we haven't escaped rings plus minus from Stugat yet. I mean, Duke was number one. Penn State was number five, you know. So to just sit there and assume Penn State would have won that game and then beat Notre Dame, I can't remember. The foot in the crease, was that for the lead or was that for the That was for the win. That was for the win. So, I mean – we don't know that Penn State would have won. I mean, it would have been tied, right? I mean, we it would have changed possession. It would have been man in the crease and Penn State's ball. We don't know how that would have went. I saw a couple of tweets about that, that Penn State would have beat Notre Dame. I say <laughs> to that, okay? Yes. Notre Dame's the national champs. First time for Kevin Corgan in 35 years. Uh, as you said, I, I, I know we'll get to that, but that was – 
that was a lot of fun to watch. And just as they built that lead, I just thought, oh, my God, deja vu as Duke came back. But you're right. Congrats to Stu and his daughter. Remember, Stu coached his daughter, both his daughters, in a travel team that was like ranked number one in the country. And they were out of Florida. And she went to Northwestern. Now she's a freshman, saw some playing time, and she wins a title. We literally could have a repeat of that picture of Stu hugging his daughter three more times. That team is that good. They blew out Boston College 18-6. to So that, that could be one of more than a few national championship pictures for Stu and his daughter. Northwestern, dynasty, collision course. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, we'll get to plenty of more plenty more on the lacrosse event here coming up soon. But, uh, Dad, you mentioned Notre Dame got out to a big lead in that game and then Duke had the strong comeback there. There was no strong comeback in the NBA last night. The Miami Heat shut the door on any potential for history. I saw, and I know Brandon, who is ever a fan of the ESPN stat, as he calls it, where he feels like there are too many filters put on a stat, too many qualifiers. This one was just absurd. And I saw our friend Amber Wilson, who does a great job on ESPN radio, even call them out that ESPN Stats and Info put out a tweet last night that said the Boston Celtics almost became the first team to come back from down 0-3 after previous teams had been 0-150 leading up to this point in NBA history. And she's like, I love you guys, but what are we doing? And I completely agree. We all knew that. We had worn that stat into the ground in the lead up to this game. Did we really need to celebrate this almost? I mean, it's the horseshoes and hand grenades line going into this one. Just seemed completely ridiculous because that was a game that Miami came out and shut the door, as did Jason Tatum's rolled ankle very early in that game I think shut the door on what a lot of people thought Boston was capable of in this game so dad what was your main takeaway from game seven in Boston well first I agree with you about that headline that's ridiculous I mean so quite honestly now they are the fourth team to be down 0-3 and take it to a seventh game but what makes it them the worst of the four teams to do that is they were the only team to be home in game seven and they couldn't close the deal they lost Three of the four home games that they played in Boston. So, I mean, listen, you have to look at the Jason Tatum on the first possession, goes up right in the baseline there and comes down on a, an opponent's ankle and rolls it. And and it just seemed like – and we're not going to know. We're not going to know fully. But as he said, he was a shell of himself. Did it take away the aggressiveness? You could see him hobbling. You could see him grimacing. So – I I think an overall riding factor of this team is who steps up. So Jalen Brown, and listen, one of the things I've always talked about in watching film in football is the eye in the sky don't lie. Wear the hat of responsibility. Don't try and talk your way out of it. And a credit to Jalen Brown. He said, listen, this was on me and I didn't get it done. He said, "Our, our main guy, Jason Tatum, was hurt. I needed to pick up the slack and I didn't do it. I let our team down. I let myself down, and I let the city down. He had eight turnovers in this game. He and Jason Tatum were 13 of 36 from the field and two of 13 from three-point land. They just were not getting it done. So I think, Mike, you know, you always had that team, and I always revert back to Philly when I played with just stars on that defense, where in big games you look to your – we always talk about who's that role player that may step up, but we get it. We certainly get that happening. But you're talking about your main players. Who steps up? So Jason Tatum gets hurt. He's not at 100%. Jalen Brown was trying to step up there and couldn't. They seemed like then they got in that mode of, okay, I'm going to try and take care of it by myself, which makes you start doing things more than you're capable of doing, leading to turnovers, leading to a blowout loss. And, oh, by the way, they couldn't hit a shot. We kept talking about, when they were when they won those three games, how they were hitting their threes. Well, actually, the third game they won, they didn't hit as many threes, but they got the tipping at the end. And this one, they weren't hitting them at, at all. I mean, and, and that's so we wondered what was going to happen. They're 9 of 42 from three-point land. But I think overall, Mike, that's kind of what happened to this team. You lost the guy you looked to, Jason Tatum. As he said, a shell of himself. Jalen Brown couldn't pick up the slack, so – where are you going? You know, a Marcus Smart and Al Horford. Who are you, who are you leaning on? You know, at that point, I'm talking more about like veterans. Who who can you lean on in a situation like that? You know, Derek White had the big tip in last game, and he had what 18 in this game. I think he was our leading scorer. So 
you're trying to find that other person. And I don't think they ever really had that cohesiveness to doing it as a team. I think they started trying to do it as individuals. And Miami was just hitting shot after shot after shot. Caleb Martin. I mean, we keep talking about a couple of the undrafted guys uh, from the Heat. I mean, he was absolutely on fire yesterday. It, it is wild to think about Miami's response to what happened in Game 6 because after Game 7, we're kind of going to leave by the wayside that incredible finish to Game 6, the Derek White tip-in that you mentioned. Like, Dad, to have the fortitude if you're Miami to come have this team come back from down 0-3 in the series and even up and to walk into their road environment. And people were sort of having fun with the fact that Jimmy yeah. kept predicting the Heat would win and wasn't really smiling in the press conferences, smiling in the fourth quarter. And then you saw that confidence go and be reflected by the rest of that team in that game. So I do think they deserve a ton of credit for that because you talk about the mentals on the other side, and maybe that does speak more to, hey, we've still got Jimmy Butler healthy and available to us here. We still know where our alpha dog lies on this team. And so when we get into a situation like this, it becomes a lot easier to stomach everything like that should be the way that we look at that is forget Boston almost coming back from 03 it's that the Miami Heat managed to lose three straight in the series and then rally to win a game on the road to close this out and now head to an NBA finals and dad I saw this stat here which was absolutely insane concerning Eric Spolstra from the Miami Heat it said Eric Spolstra I think since he has Taken over as the Heat's coach 2008-2009 has made the NBA Finals more than he has missed the playoffs as a head coach. Well, you, that and then go along with Pat Riley, who runs that organization. Pat Riley from a player, a coach, and now a president. He is now in the Finals again. He has been in, I believe the number was, a little over just under 25% of all NBA Finals he's been a part of, which is ridiculous. I mean, when that guy took over, and you're right, Spolstra, I, I don't think at times gets enough credit uh, for what's going on. So, listen, we'll have plenty of time, a lot of time to talk about Miami. As a matter of fact, this is the 10th time we have two teams in a metro area going for a title with the Panthers and with uh, my and the Miami Heat. Last one was 216 with Golden State and San Jose, uh, the Sharks in the NHL. So we'll see where that goes. But this is going to be more since we have about, you know, eight weeks to talk about the finals, which they roll through, unless Denver goes ahead and does what they did last round. Uh, it, it is going to be about the Celtics. And are you about to part with $600 million to keep your two stars? Yeah, a lot of questions sit around and wait for the Boston Celtics heading into this offseason. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Yeah, so I want to get this out of the way right now. Congratulations to the Miami Heat. Uh, wake up the Denver Nuggets. They probably have been enjoying their rest for a while now, <laughs> considering it feels like we haven't seen them on a TV screen in months. So... We're excited about that finals. I think there's going to be some really good basketball. Obviously, some things Miami has done with zone defense, with Jimmy Butler throughout this postseason, all could be things that still give Denver enough trouble to make this interesting. 
even if I think they're rightly heavily favored going into this series. But, Dad, we're going to have a lot of time to talk about that. So, this is not to disrespect heat culture, which is real. Right. I can't deny it anymore. I can't make fun of it anymore. It's real. It's, you know, magic. It's whatever you want to quantify it as. It's real and it's out there. And if you want to hear people barf about that all day, the Dan Lebitard show <laughs> comes on right after us. And I'm sure they will have – I've already seen – Dad, have you uh, seen or heard any of the uh, Parakeet Cortez fake phone calls into Boston radio stations that he's been doing? Uh, no, I have not. That's got to be special. It's it's an absolute <laughs> beauty. It's become a, a yet another in the long line of great Levitard show bits. So uh, Cortez should be co-hosting the show today instead of Stugatz, which I'm sure Stugatz won't be back there. He's still going to no. be finger-wagging with a national championship ring somewhere in the greater <laughs> Chicagoland area. But uh, so, again, you'll get plenty of that coming up here. Dad, it feels like we do need to ask some of the big questions about the Boston Celtics future because I think coming off that game last night, we saw overall, right, for this Boston Celtics team, the way they're constructed. Jason Tatum, invaluable. Like, their comeback in this series was predicated on his aggressiveness that got robbed in the first series and the first portion of the game for them with that rolled ankle. A team that's incredibly reliant on threes, took over 40 of them in this game, but only hit 21% is the story, right? That's how this Boston Celtics team was built. And the only person that was built to go and do that in a different way is Jason Tatum. He was the one that, as they were mounting this comeback, would get him to the rack, would create for others, could get into the lane, though, and then could do it up close and personal in a way that gave them that added dimension. So without him, we saw that house of cards fall. I guess my question for you is, and we're back to where we were, it feels like a round ago with this uh, Boston Celtics team, is... Does any of the response to that, because Jason Tatum's going to be there, there's no questions yeah. about that. It's, does any of how this series ended give you any pause about the Jalen Brown portion or the Joe Missoula portion of this as we head into the offseason? Well, so, I mean, let, let's go with the players and, and Jalen Brown. I, I would, well, you would think at this point, why change it up coaching-wise, you know, keep the continuity there, but that seems to be thrown out the window in professional sports at times. They'll, they'll go through coaches. The J, Jalen Brown's the, the, the question. And it's kind of like that quarterback question of, oh, do we want to, you know, I go back to the Tony Romo. Oh, we got to get rid of Romo. Okay, who are you getting? Where, where, where are you going? So if you don't pay Jalen Brown, who are you getting? Now, the other side of that, it's a lot of money. Again, for those that don't know, we can sign a five-year $295 million extension. He's got one more year on his deal and then the five-year extension. The dude, unfortunately, has been turning the ball over. If you look at stats through regular season and postseason, his turnover are, are close to his assist numbers. So, I mean, you're assisting him, but then you're turning the ball over. As I mentioned, eight turnovers last night. I love him as a player. I, I At the end of the day, I would be shocked, Mike, if they didn't pay him. But now we'll say again, that's $600 million between those two players if they b both sign those max deals. But I, I guess while your window is open, and it could be open for a while, these are young cats too, what, 25, 26, 24, 25 area there that you can build around. I would be surprised if they, if they didn't do this, though I will say the new CBA coming into place is going to really penalize teams that spend a lot of money. And you're spending a lot of money here. So are you are you willing to deal with the ramifications of that, the penalties of that uh, by spending that money? But I, I'll, I'll continue to say on the other side, where are you going to go then? Who, who are you going to bring in? Unless there's a free agent in mind or a trade in mind. Now, be careful with trade. You lose your depth uh, in that as well. But that would be the question to me. You pay him or who are you getting to fill that slot? And be that be that Robin to Jason Tatum's Batman. Yeah, I think it's fun to get emotional after losses, and Lord knows I've been a victim of that. But come on, like <laughs> you mentioned, they're twenty. So Jalen Brown's twenty six years old. Jason Tatum's twenty five years old right now, coming into the primes of their career, and have taken you to this many Eastern Conference Finals in the last four years. We've talked about this with the Miami Heat. This is one of those things where I think a little bit of the 
wealth of success Boston sports fans have uh, have enjoyed kind of comes back to bite them because most other cities would kill to understand who are the young players that we are going to have to build yeah. around that play at an all-NBA level and give us an opportunity to get close to championships, close enough to where you almost came back and did the impossible. Like, Dad, I, and I'm sure this is just as maddening for you, I did see some of the people out there saying, would you have rather just gotten swept and not had to deal with this in seven games? games would you have rather just lost three games ago and not have to worry about all of this which just you know shows you the people that have never actually competed in any meaningful facet of their lives who would have said that or people that just wanted to watch something different on tv maybe i can extend them that grace but that notion was always ridiculous it's one of the dumbest statements i ever hear going back to when you guys lost big to alabama in the championship game oh it would have been better to not be there no it wouldn't have you have no shot to win the championship if you're not in the game you know, uh, Joe Theismann, I think after already having a Super Bowl, saying after that, I'd rather I'd rather not go to the Super Bowl than go to the Super Bowl and lose. What? Give me the Buffalo Bills any day of the week. If, if my career says I'm not going to the Super Bowl or I'm not winning the Super Bowl, but I'm losing four of them, I'll take it. Because that means I was in it and I had a chance to win, even though I didn't. So I, I can't stand that. You want to be in every game. You don't want to be involved in a blowout. You down 3-0, you want to go to seven games, even you end up losing it. I can't stand it. You're right. It's people that just don't don't have an idea about competition to say, I, I have to be in this thing to have a chance to get to the finals. And these two players have had you in this every step of the way. Yeah. They were in the finals last year. And so I, I don't think, I understand now, and the NBA has made it very clear with how they structured this new CBA, right? They're trying to attack super teams. They're trying to limit yep. anyone who wants to go out, and especially, maybe not two superstars, but really I think attacking the big threes that teams had tried to put together. But I think what you have and the benefit you get, and like you went all the way back to the beginning, knowing who your guys are and having them to step up in the big moments you got to secure these two guys and say we've been knocking on the door this entire time we'll figure it out as they come into their prime years as NBA players heading into the 27 28 29 year old range the NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA with same game parlays live betting odds boosts and so much more don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down and now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat Boston fans we feel a little bit more confident about the situation you can decide right now and if you're new to DraftKings you can also check this out new customers can bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code Gojo that's code Gojo for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings the crown is yours gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia visit www.1800gambler.net in New York call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY that's 467-369 in Connecticut help is available for problem gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance see dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So I love we're sitting here during break and my dad's just muttering to himself that he'd have no answer for Nikola Jokic. None. Uh, none whatsoever. They don't. Adebayo, listen, I love his play. Same. Jokic is a seven-footer who can play anywhere and pass. I, 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 it's going to be really. I think they played once during the regular season, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, and I think Denver blew them out. Now again, that that doesn't mean anything in, in a seven game series, but I just look at this matchup, which, as you said, we'll have plenty of time. Uh, the first game is Thursday, and if it goes to Game Seven, that'll be in September sometime. I think uh, it, it's unreal how long this thing takes, but I, I just I, I just don't know the answer that they have. Uh, so I, I think the answer most people would try and point to, and I think I saw J.J. Redick talking about this on Old Man and the Three, is that zone, right? Like the heat coming out and living and dying by that zone. We saw in this game, Boston started 0 for 12 from three. Again, you can chicken and egg that with, 
the Heat defense or Jason Tatum being limited because as we saw in games four, five, and six, Jason Tatum, when he can drive into the lane, does create a lot more open looks, does make defenders sag off on the three-point line a bit. All that maybe helps those percentages go up some on that, but it's also part of the math problem that Miami likes to create with that zone defense. So maybe that collapsing in on Nikola Jokic does something to try and muck this up, Dad. I think Denver wins the series. I think they win it pretty handily, but between Jimmy Butler's voodoo and my desire not to have to get to July sports talk content early, I'm kind of hoping they're able to take this thing the distance. Wanna seven's no doubt about it because we know we're entering that part of talk shows where the lists start, the Mount Rushmore start, you know, all that all that stuff before we get to the uh the NFL training camps, uh, which we plead come along quickly, which when I was playing I hated and didn't want to get to them, but we want them to start as fast as possible. So yeah, give us seven games for sure. Yeah, uh, so we'll definitely be looking forward to that. Seven games, God willing, for those guys. Uh, Dad, we did have a Memorial Day weekend uh, since we've got the three days there. And I remember we actually did this last year, me and Brandon on the show, where we did it cookout style on Memorial Day because there's just so much going on over this weekend. So, Dad, I know my answer for this, but I'm curious for you. Did you have, maybe outside of Notre Dame lacrosse, a favorite event from Memorial Day weekend athletically that you enjoyed. We had all the racing going on. We had hockey in the NHL going on as the Stanley Cup's now going to be set there. Vegas punching their ticket. What stuck out to you? Well, I mean, listen, yeah, you'd have to separate the Notre Dame game because that's why I was absolutely glued uh, for that one in, in hopes and hopes that they could finally off, and they did. I would probably say the Indy 500 – you know, I remember going to it one year. I went to it one time. That's when my brother Bob was actually in the pit crew uh, for a driver, Scott Brayton, who unfortunately lost his life uh, a little later. Um, and and I, I think at a race in Michigan, I'm not positive, but uh, was was uh, on the tire in the pit. So we went to it one year. That is one of those where I went to it one year. I don't know if I would go back, but I went to it the one time. What a spectacle. 300,000 people, and they show the areas where there's basically a concert going on. It's just wall-to-wall people. I don't know how they survive in there. It, it is such a spectacle. So probably that, and I watched the, the F1, the race Monaco, but Monaco, while it's beautiful and you see all the great yachts, it's just not a great race course where you see a lot of passing. Verstappen won. It rained later on in this one as well. So... You know, that, that was fine to watch. It's the whole Monaco thing. But for me, the Indy 500. And now, you know, what you're getting these these restarts, these red flags and restarts, you had three of them coming toward the end of this one uh, before Joseph Newgarden ends up winning it. I think on his 12th try, he, uh, he passed Marcus Erickson on the last lap after a, a red flag. Erickson was trying to become back-to-back for the first time since Elio Castroneves in 01 and 02. But the, the wild one in that, Mike, just imagine, and for these guys, I mean, this is what they do. During the race, it was uh, Felix Rosenquist and Kyle Kirkwood got in an accident. Kirkwood's tire, he flipped. Yes. His tire came off. Now, these tires now are supposedly tethered, but the tether snapped. It went off, and thank God it missed people in the crowd. It just cleared the stands, and it actually hit the hood of a car, a parked <laughs> car, out in the parking lot. But thank God it didn't hit everybody. But because of these of these cameras now in the race, you, Kirkwood lost that tire and flipped. He was head down on an angle against the wall, just sliding against the wall. And they had the in-camera view, and there were just sparks flying everywhere. And as he said, it's the most helpless feeling in the world. He's like, there's nothing I can do. And you just see sparks flying around you as you're sliding headfirst on the track. I mean, it is, you look at that and you're like, you don't, I don't think people realize how dangerous that is because nobody's really been in that situation. But luckily he was fine. No worries. But watching that and watching what these guys go through uh, is amazing. But as I said, three red flags, three uh, uh, new starts at the end. 
Uh, Newgarden passes Erickson on that last lap and gets that last win. restart was ridiculous too. Well, it took yeah. them all of five seconds into the restart for someone else to crash and for them to finish the yeah. race on a yellow flag, I believe. So that was <laughs> oh yeah, that was that was like watching someone who's first learning how to drive stick shift. They just started and then immediately had the difficulty and gear shifted down. Well, and Marcus Erickson, he was ticked about it afterward. Yeah. He said, "I think it was dangerous to do." Because he would have won if it was under yellow. They were to finish the race under yellow. And I get them not wanting to finish a race under yellow. So they started it quickly. He was leading, so he was in the lead. And Newgarden passed him. Newgarden pulled in, all told for that, $3.6 million. It was the largest purse ever. Penske Racing, I think, won their 19th there. It was the largest purse ever at over $17 million. So... Yeah, these guys that were raking in some money, but for Newgarden, it had been a long haul uh, waiting to get to that first one. And just just to watch these guys pour that milk over their head is a pretty wild. Milk's got to be, I mean, now that we're in a day and age where bowl games have started to dump the substances they're named for on people. I mean, hell, I called a game where we doused a coach in mayonnaise after it, for God's sake. But we've seen Cheez-Its mayonnaise. We've seen French fries at the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. We obviously see a lot of Gatorade bass. Milk is up there on a hot day with one of the nastier things you could probably pour on yourself, right? Like, I can't think of a, yeah. a ton of other – maybe, like, barbecue sauce would be kind of hellish too, but milk's up there. And and I love how they give the racer their choice. Like they said, he chose whole milk. I'm like, does it matter if you're choosing skim milk, yeah. 2% or whole milk? I mean, I love the fact that they told us he chose whole milk. He takes a sip and dumps the rest over his head. That's got to stink later. You're right, you know, as the heat's uh, bearing down on you. But at that point, I'm sure you don't care. What a what a great scene it really was. I mean, I can understand him picking whole milk. I The first time I ever had whole milk is so deeply ingrained in my brain because I didn't ever really think about milk other than like the 2% or skim milk that mom used to just buy and put in the fridge. And then all of a sudden we're on vacation and it was at some like continental breakfast area at a hotel. And I went over and didn't look at the labeling on the milk. And I took a little swig of the whole milk first in the cup and my whole world lit up. It's so rich and fatty and wonderful. I was like, you guys have been hiding this milk from me for like 12 years of my life. At that point, I was ticked. <laughs> well, sorry about that. We just felt it was better for you, 2% and skim. But who knows nowadays? I mean, maybe that's better for you now. I don't know. It I, keeps changing, doesn't it? Bro, I saw camel milk the other day. Now, Brandon is more familiar with this place than I am. I had never heard of this place called Erwan in Los Angeles, so I'm still under a year in having lived in L.A., and I've shopped at Whole Foods before in the past, go get the produce or whatever there. It was closest to my house. But now that I'm out in L.A., I generally have skewed into a Ralph's guy. I like that, you know, it's Ralph's, Vaughn's, a lot of the places that are especially right. West Coast based out there. And one day I was visiting a friend and she was like, do you want to go and check out Erwan? I had never heard of Erwan before, but apparently it's the final boss of fancy grocery stores. And inside there, I saw legitimate camel milk on sale at this place. And when I was telling this story to Brandon, he acted like I was crazy for not knowing this and act like he shopped there all the time. So Moneybags Brandon, is there anything else my dad needs to know about Erwan? Have you tried uh, goat cheese? Yeah. 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 Okay, have you tried goat milk? Yes. Oh, okay. You all right, well, milk? what about- I, I've tried goat milk. I've never heard of camel milk in my life, ever. Now, have you tried to milk yourself? What? Excuse me? Okay. Um, what about reindeer meat? Very popular yes. in Alaska. Very good on pizza. Yes, I've had that. that. Those type of things you can find in Irwan. It's just, you know, uh, just uh, the, the most high end. Think about what Aladdin would shop at or buy at the market uh, back in, you know, the uh, Aladdin cartoon. Like all those things are at Irwan marked up at a ridiculously high price. They sell a $20 smoothie that's full of, like, collagen and stuff. It's called a skin smoothie. I forget which celebrity endorses it, if it's one of, like, the Jenner kids or whatever. But it's, like, $20 for a smoothie this big. And I'm not a prude when it comes to paying a little bit of a tax for something delicious and unique, but that hardly seems worth it. And, again, Brandon just shrugged it off because he's infinitely more Los Angeles than I am. I, I don't – I don't – is there – is there – 
value to camel milk? Is there something we're missing? Is it providing something that an almond milk or an oat milk or is there? Oh, don't get me started on almond milk. Like, what are you milking on an almond that gets you that milk? Uh, Listen, I'm with you. I'm just wondering why camel milk? Is there some, you know, fountain of youth in camel milk? I I, I can tell you right now. Um, Camel milk is very high in antioxidants, uh, which helps, you know, prevent cell damage and uh, can help cause or excuse me, cure (laughs) cancer, diabetes and heart disease. Also very high and rich in vitamins and, and minerals. Wait, Pretty much wait, everything that's in normal wait, milk is in camel that, that, milk. That is, that is, right. can you say that? Help cure? It's, it's like, right. what was it? Was it, was it Russell Wilson that, that oh, the, had that water that said can water. cure concussions or whatever? I'm like, what the hell are we doing here? You can't say it helps cure cancer. I mean, seriously? Hey, the, the fatty acids in camel milk help to, to treat human diseases like tuberculosis, asthma, and a couple other words that I won't try to pronounce. <laughs> I, like, there's a difference between things that you can eat that are like preventative that we know, like there are cancer fighters and stuff like that, and like making it sound like it's prescriptive. Like, oh, all right, well, as you're getting ready to go in your treatment, here's your bag of camel milk to take home today. Yeah. Oh, that just. Oh my God. I I I can pretty much honestly say. I, I will never try camel milk unless there's, you know, an endorsement deal or something. Then it'll be the greatest milk on the face of the earth if somebody wants to pay me to drink it. Uh, th- that'll be cool. So, yeah, I, I don't see me in that uh, in in that grocery store much. So, Mike, what was your what was your favorite part of the weekend? As if I don't already know, as you're sitting in a hotel room in Philadelphia, which I'm still shocked you made the show. Violently hungover, wearing the Notre Dame Lacrosse 2023 Men's National Championship T-shirt. Yeah, this was. Uh, this was a beauty, man. Uh, what a day. First off, it, it, and I give this same spiel every year, you know, when I was working at ESPN and helping cover championship weekend or when I was on radio into now, if you had never gotten into lacrosse before or if you were curious about the sport, championship weekend is such a great entry point because you've usually got, in addition to the four best teams, some of the best players on earth. The yeah. college game right now and, and – Paul Rabel and the guys at the uh, Premier Lacrosse League are doing a phenomenal job trying to grow the professional version of the sport to tie it in with the college version. It's on ESPN now. It's all under the same broadcast umbrella. College game reigns supreme. We talked to Anish about that this last week. And to get to see all of that on display, it's like a jamboree-style, festival-style event for lacrosse. There's so many young kids there from all their different clubs teams with their lacrosse sticks all taking this in. Dad, growing up in Connecticut when we started getting into this, I remember going to Champ Weekend in Philadelphia, in Baltimore, as a middle school and high school kid. And so now to just see that first and foremost, it's such a cool celebration for the sport. But man, for Notre Dame to finally get over to the hump. And there are rivalries that we talk about all over sports, right? And Dad, you and I coming through playing Notre Dame football, I always tell people Michigan was the team that I hated the most as a player. They were the ones that just rubbed me the wrong way that I always wanted to beat more. I can honestly say, as someone who has been a supporter of Notre Dame lacrosse for a long time, my roommate when I got to campus was Sean Rogers, one of the star attackmen on the team. So I spent a lot of time around these dudes may have had equal feel my heart for Duke lacrosse because of what they've done to Notre Dame over the years. This was the third national championship meeting right. that Notre Dame and Duke had had. Notre Dame had lost the last two in excruciating fashion. Notre Dame had been bounced overall in the NCAA tournament five different times by the Duke Blue Devils over the years. So, Dad, they'd been our hang-up this entire time, and to see Notre Dame go out there and get a win 13 to nine. They end up pulling away at the end of this one was cathartic. You know how they always ask people uh, after a big win like that is the feeling more excited or relief. I can honestly say, at least from one fan's perspective on this, the feeling was relief. It was yeah, such a yeah. weight lifted off everybody's shoulders watching that. Well, yeah, because you were, they, they knocked on the door, you know, how many times in the NCAA tournament? And, and they didn't win it. So they always had a team good enough to be right there, but never closed the deal. And I know they got snubbed from the tournament last year, and they said they put up that bracket of last year in everybody's locker uh, that didn't have Notre Dame on it uh, to kind of motivate everybody. 
And so, you know, they go up six to one in this one, but I think everybody knew because I think one of the title games wasn't Duke way up on Notre Dame and Notre Dame, I think, came back. So that's what happens in this game. You can come back and, and to Duke's credit, that's exactly what they did. And you just kind of had that uh-oh feeling. But then Notre Dame, Notre Dame on ground. I, I always say this, Mike, when you and Jake played in middle school, your coach, Bobby Olson, was, was such a really great fundamental coach. And he always talked about getting the ground balls, getting the ground balls, how to get ground balls. Notre Dame is like a pack of pit bulls. And I shouldn't even say that about pit bulls because I love dogs. They're, they're, they're crazy. They're, they are rabid going after ground balls. I mean, knocking people down, scooping ground balls, they are incredible. Uh, they, they were doing such a great job on the faceoff, something that, that's been a struggle over the last couple of years for Notre Dame. And they were doing a great – while not winning it outright – it would turn into a ground ball, they were, and they were winning. It was unreal. They, I mean, they, they were, were bullying that. They dude. were. I mean, Duke's faceoff man is one of the best, if not yes. the best, in the country, and they were just straight up shoving him back onto his ass each and every faceoff. It warmed it was, my heart. Oh, it was it was great. And, and quite honestly, I'm so happy for Kevin Corrigan. Uh, again, the Corrigan brothers. Tim Corrigan is a big time producer for NBA at uh, at ESPN. Boo Corrigan is the uh, the AD, I think, in North Carolina State, I think it is yep. now. The dad, Gene Corrigan, was the AD at Notre Dame and then ran the ACC for a while. It's such a great sports family. I'm so happy for Kevin, who took over three years after I graduated. In, he, yeah. I graduated in 85. He took over the team in 1988, 35 years, and he gets his title. And I loved him after. He kept deflecting any, any of the questions about himself and the long wait to the players on the field. And Mike, I'm going to tell you, the best thing about this win is not only did Notre Dame have the best goalie in the country, but he's named after pastries. Liam Eneman. I mean, you can't make that up. That man, he should, I hope he had an NIL deal with Enemans because that's his last name. It would have been too perfect, but he was unbelievable. Season high in saves, I think was 17 or 18. He was fantastic. It was incredible. He was named the most outstanding player yeah. of the tournament, and rightly so. He was the difference in that game completely. And you mentioned Coach Corrigan's been coaching lacrosse at Notre Dame longer than I've been alive. Yeah. He has the active record for wins by a Division One head coach at a single school at Notre Dame. And now he's got the one thing that had been eluding his resume there. Does it on the back of the Cavanaugh brothers, the first family of Notre Dame lacrosse, yes. their older brother Matt was there when I was a player and set every Notre Dame school record while he was there. His younger brother, Pat, was a finalist for the Tawaratom, which is the Heisman Trophy of college lacrosse. He played this game with, probably I don't even know what it is, probably a torn hamstring coming yeah, yeah, semifinal yeah, game. Yeah. His brother, Chris, was the leading scorer on the team. And to see those guys get to do it, and that family there, all of these families there. I mean, there were Notre Dame lacrosse parents from my class of guys that immediately yeah. showed up as soon as they got close. You saw four decades of Notre Dame lacrosse players all rallied. I think that was the coolest moment to see for Coach Corrigan and this current team, the way that basically the entire history of Notre Dame lacrosse converged on Philadelphia and specifically the K-Lot at the Lincoln Financial Parking Lot <laughs> to make this one of the coolest tailgates I've ever been a part of. So... Congratulations to Notre Dame, the 2023 Men's Lacrosse National Champions. Weight lifted off their shoulders. Boogeyman officially slain. And now we get to talk about maybe running it back because I don't know if you've seen it. They're bringing a lot of these guys back next season. I can't wait. All right, time to finish off this celebration so I can get on a plane and try and rest off the rest of this hangover uh, in peace after this Notre Dame Lacrosse National Championship. And get to this, that, and the third. Three quick stories to finish off your day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel and right here on DraftKingsNetwork.com. And, Dad, uh, from over the weekend, uh, we had this uh, feel-good story in the world of Major League Baseball as White Sox reliever Liam Hendricks allowed two runs and three walks, making his return on Monday in his first outings after coming back from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He's 34 years old and got a bunch of rousing ovations on that day. Dad kept the first pitch that he threw coming off of that and just uh, an incredibly emotional moment for a guy who battled back after something that is literally life and death. Yeah, he diagnosed in December. He went public with it in early January, and here he is, you know, beating the cancer, 
and pitching in a game. You, you want to talk about something where the outcome doesn't matter. I mean, this is one of those moments where even the Angels were up. Clay. He said he had to not look into the Angels' dugout because he goes, I have to pitch against these guys. I have to dislike them, and here they are cheering for me. The leadoff hitter of that inning and the umpire both stepped away before his pitch so the ovation could continue for the guy. This is what he was dealing with. I mean, so just to be back there, and as you mentioned, gave up three hits, two runs. That doesn't matter. Through 27 pitches, and as the White Sox talked about, We'll see how he is day to day, you know, going forward as he builds himself back up. But this is one of those where the the final score does not even matter to the battle uh, that went on, you know, away from everybody else and a, a man against cancer. And in this case, winning that battle at this point and, uh, and hopefully that continues and getting back out there and doing what he loves. It was very, very cool. Could you imagine if they had hit him with a pitch clock violation? Oh, I mean... <laughs> I mean, the, the whole angels die. They're just bait. They're just baiting him into doing it, and all of a sudden, the umpire is just like uh, ball one. Yeah. Oh, that would have been awful. Oh, uh, would have been, been cold blooded. So, no. Congratulations to him. I'm glad uh, everybody understood the importance and the gravity of that moment, and made sure to celebrate it for him the night uh, the right way. So, again, congratulations. Uh, to Liam Hendricks on that moment and for coming back and now getting to enjoy not only the rest of his life, but you know the rest of his professional career doing what he loves to do. Dad, let's get to that. This was interesting and we didn't get to this um, necessarily with the Boston Celtics when we were talking about their win, but apparently after a frustrating blowout loss in game three against the Miami Heat, the thing that helped turn things around for the Boston Celtics and get them back on a path where, again, according to ESPN Stats and Info, they almost became the first team to come back from down 3-0 in a series after being 0-150 in history in those instances prior. Apparently, it was a trip to Topgolf that helped lift the team's spirit. Uh, Marcus Smart told Roz Golden Woody that he credited a team event at Top Golf Miami, where the, he said to the guys, "The whole team came together to release all the negative en energy and get that chemistry back." Dad, it's a good reminder that a trip to the driving range is always a great stress reliever because there is nothing that will get all of that feeling out of your body quite like trying to uncork and Happy Gilmore a ball off the upper deck of a course and not fall into the netting. How how, how much do you? ruin your game there by over swinging at top golf i mean you just want to knock the crap out of that ball and i always love team functions whatever they were to try and get you out of something and and hey you know it, it certainly they went on to win the next few games to make it three three and go to game seven so there's something too you know when when um jim mcmahon came and played quarterback for us in philly after randall got hurt he helped start. We did a, uh, and this wasn't a one-time thing, but it was a good get-together. Every Monday, we had, a, we had a bowling league, and just about everybody on the team was involved. We had teams. Every Monday, we would bowl, and we would watch Monday Night Football as a team at a bowling alley, and that was actually really cool, you know, because as, as I've said many times, and you know this, not everybody on a team gets along with one another. It's nice if you do, but it, it's unrealistic to think so. But these team events, when you're just kind of bonding outside of your sport, able to relax, drink a couple of beers, throw a bowling golf a ball, or in this case, you know, hit a golf ball, uh, it, it's kind of a cool thing to just hang together. So I kind of like those. As long as you don't do them too much, you hear, oh, another team meeting, oh, they had another team meeting, or or like you guys used to call forced fun. Yeah. You know, we're forced to, so they keep everybody together. Nobody has any free time. We're going to force you to go do this. Sometimes things can turn out, you know, well with those things. Yeah, it, it can work out pretty well. Like you, what you described and how that bowling league was set up was kind of what Trick Shot Monday was for us in college. It was a game we played between meetings on Mondays to kind of give us a moment to breathe in between turning the page on the game the weekend prior and then getting on to game planning for the next week because it's a long season. That's kind of what the Boston Celtics talked about with this. Season's like nine months long. You've got to find pockets and spaces where you can break stuff up, sort of unclench your jaw a little bit. And in their case, it got them refocused and recalibrated and back able to approach their work the way that got them to almost coming back from down 3-0 yeah. in this year. <laughs> almost. That's a headline. Almost. almost. Playing horseshoes. 
yeah, no almost uh, here. Uh, let's get to the third. And full spoiler alert ahead for everyone. If you haven't seen the series finale of Succession from Sunday night, do not listen to anything past this point in the podcast. We are going to discuss this full of spoilers. So you could turn this off right now. We don't want to ruin this for you. But, uh, Dad... What did you think overall of the finale? First off, I know finales are usually very polarizing with people. Uh, a lot of people hearkened back to the Sopranos finale for this one with how it ended. So overall, did you think this was a good episode? Yeah, whenever I'm looking at a series finale, I'm like, how do they tie everything up? You know, and then how, how do they leave us with this? And listen, I, I loved this series. It is one of the only, I can't think of another series. And I know we've talked about this where there were literally zero redeemable redeeming characters. None. There was no character that you held up and put on a pedestal and said, I want this is such a great person. They were all connivers and liars, but it made the series great. And that's the way it ended. Shiv was against, you know, Kendall and Roman, and then Shiv was getting screwed by, by the dude she was, uh, uh, you know, going side by side with, thinking she was going to be the CEO of the new Gojo company. And she gets screwed out of that. And we'll get to that, that reason. So she goes back with her brothers. They plan again to take over everything. And then when push comes to shove on the vote, I didn't see it coming. I'm not going to lie. Shiv bails. I mean, they all go in the room, the three brothers, the, the, the three siblings, two of them start to fight. Kendall's losing his mind. Roman still thinks he can be the CEO. And Roman lost his mind. Roman couldn't, you know, uh, head up a kindergarten class by the end of that show, the way he were, where he was mentally, he was a mess. And Kendall starts throwing Roman around as they're fighting. Shiv walks out and votes against her brothers there. I didn't, I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't see that one coming. And then the new CEO to walk away on this thing being Tom was just, was just kind of an amazing thing to me. Yeah, I thought everyone stayed very true to themselves all the way to the end, right? Because the best thing that this series was able to do was throw you off its scent every once in a while because you're right, they're all bad people. But then you get scenes like we got in this episode where they're all out at their mom's house and they're acting like kids together and they're messing around the kitchen. They all seem to like each other. And it's like, that's not who they are. They are as... Logan, or as uh, Roman said at the end, BS. None of them are serious people. But Dad, you mentioned the sports tie-in that everyone's been running with on this when it came to Tom Wamsgans, who sits alone as the winner, who wormed his way into the top by uh, being the one who would basically just kiss up to whoever was in power. And a lot of people are pointing to the name Wamsgans and saying that should have been a tell because I don't know if you know this, Bill Wamsgans was a player for the Cleveland baseball team from 1914 to 1923, and his claim to fame is the only unassisted triple play in World Series history. He got three outs all by himself the same way Tom Wamsgans knocked out Roman, Kendall, and Shiv all by himself to end this series. So let everyone marinate on that. I mean, seriously, that's the correlation we're making? That that because of that, we have this? Yes, exactly, because that's how <laughs> prestige television works. We are always looking for an angle. We hope you enjoyed the angle on this podcast. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Go, go. Boom. Money in the bank.